0: Welcome! <laughs> welcome back, everyone. Oh gosh. Who <laughs> loves Labour's Watched, your hopefully um favourite running uh, entertainment women focus women focused culture podcast. I say that every time and I still doubt whether I should say it. Um welcome. Yeah, well we might find a little bit different this
1: week. Um and that is because we are both following government guidelines and self-isolating distancing ourselves from everybody and staying inside so we are not physically together but we are together in spirit and in our hearts and connected by the magic of technology right now yes always yeah
0: yeah it's very very exciting um and so apologies for any technical technical technological glitches uh we're working as kind of best as we can in the ways that are safest and yeah and we'd also like to just kind of extend um, our sort of positive vibes and support, everyone listening. I know this is a bit of a bonkers time, uh, and everyone's lives are being sort of upended in different ways. So uh, we hope that the podcast kind of gives you a sense of relief or enjoyment, or even just helps keep up, helps you keep up with the daily. Um, and yeah, we're uh, very aware of kind of um, you know how difficult levity can be in times like this. But I, I guess we're all carrying on. So so are we. Um, yeah. But yes stick with government guidelines do your bit to protect the nhs and we'll all be good hopefully yeah
1: and i think if you're anything like us you'll be seeking solace in pop culture right now um and turning towards some of your favorite books uh, or new movies that have you know come to uh, streaming platforms sooner than expected or um you might be listening to lots of podcasts hopefully including ours so yeah we we thought it was good to keep going and keep enlightening you with some of our favorite female-focused pop culture that we've been enjoying recently. Um, So on that note, we actually have a special guest this week, which is super exciting. Um, The power of technology extended to us interviewing somebody virtually, um, which was great. Uh, Yeah, so Helena, do you want to tell us a bit more about our special guest this week?
0: Right, so we, this week, got to chat to Holly Bourne, the amazing author. Um, She's written several young adult books and her Debut adult novel, How Do You Like Me Now, which is all about the uh, process of turning 30 and living in your 30s as a woman. That was published in uh, 2018, Um, and she's had loads of great reactions to responses to her work. She is an absolutely fantastic author, um, and she basically comes from a background of journalism. And she's also worked for, uh, I think she said five years, in uh, Women's Aid, a charity who helped deal with um, domestic violence and abusive relationships and help women um, in dealing with them. And so she has this real background in telling stories and also dealing with women's rights and women's issues and um, feminism. So all that underlines her new book that she's brought out, which is called Pretending, which is out next week um and basically pretending is a book again dealing with the issues of kind of trauma and abuse and also women and dating and humor and kind of the kind of crazy world that we live in all mashed into one um so we're really honored to speak to her and you know francesca can you give us a bit of a lowdown on the actual book that comes out next week pretending
1: yeah so i think probably when you listen to this podcast the book will have come out or will be coming out perhaps the day of the release um it comes out in late march in the uk um and i actually gave a little bit of a shout out in our last episode um and uh was delighted to be Mm. able to speak about it you know with holly this time round, it's a really interesting premise so the title pretending comes from the main plot point which is that april a woman in her early 30s who's feeling disillusioned about relationships and specifically about online dating and male entitlement and and men behaving badly to put it mildly um, and feeling frustrated about all of this, she decides to abandon her kind of regular online dating profile and instead create a profile for a quote-unquote manic pixie dream girl who's someone that Men will immediately be enthralled by. She looks like brilliant when she just gets up out of bed and you know has put like no makeup on, and but actually she's put loads of effort in you know, the kind of the kind of like male fantasy figure. Um, and so April's like, Well, what I just pretend to be this person who's totally different from me, she doesn't have my neuroses, she doesn't have my worries. Um, but her motives, April's motives for pretending, um, are complicated to say the least um and underlined some pretty difficult things that she's experienced in her past so that's the premise which is quite off the wall and um you know holly herself very much said that but it's grounded in this like very um particular realism and um emotional heart and also, I think it's something we've all could imagine, like fantasizing about doing. Uh, you know, uh, fingers crossed, nobody's actually going around catfishing people. But you know, I think it is something that we we can all <laughs> see where that frustration and that um, that difficulty has come from, and what sort of drives April to make some of the choices that she does in the book. Um, and yeah, so it's a really a really great read. Like I, I like kind of completely devoured it, and I think it sort of defies genre a little bit. Um, I think you know, you maybe think it's going to be this like fun frothy romance and in parts it is um because inevitably what happens of course is that april ends up sort of falling for one of the people who she's essentially fundamentally lied to um and it's kind of about like what what happens there and how she learns to kind of well how everybody kind of learns to connect in this slightly unusual circumstance
0: yeah so it's definitely uh, a really interesting book and a very timely one uh too i mean holly discussed Um, how things, movements like um, Time's Up and Me Too kind of inspired her to write this novel because she feels these stories haven't necessarily been um, told before or told in a way that she wants to tell them or equally the issues that she's discussing in the novel through the character of April and the people who surround her and the situations that she finds herself in. Um, those stories haven't really been told. And she said something great um, in the interview, which you'll hear, where she said, don't be afraid to tell your own story and also don't think that just because you're a woman that your story or your voice isn't valuable. So she's very much about championing those women's voices and championing the voices of characters like April, who you may not like because of whatever reason, but her story is still important. Um, So definitely, especially in today's world, where everything is a bit more difficult, an author to highlight and to hear from so we're really excited to have spoken to her and we had a really good time didn't we Francesca?
1: yeah we had a great conversation and I think um one thing that I really feel comes across so strongly in all of Polly Bourne's work is her honesty and mm. the fact that she's not afraid to highlight a character who is quote unquote unlikable or who makes bad decisions um or who doesn't fit with our kind of preconceived ideas of what a woman should be um or, or even what like a kind of female protagonist should be you know um So it was really interesting to discuss that with her. Um, We also talked about um, the kind of frustrations surrounding the women's fiction um, label. Uh, We talked about um, things we were enjoying this year that were kind of keeping us somewhat sane in this very strange period. Uh, So, yeah, it was a really great conversation and we'd love for you to now listen to it and also let us know your thoughts um, about the book. I um, would definitely recommend hunting it down as soon as possible. So yeah, enjoy.
0: Uh, cool, so um, Jessica, do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, so yeah, we we've both um, read and absolutely loved um, your new novel Pretending. Um, and we found the, the topic really interesting about you know, a woman who feels disillusioned by dating apps and, and modern dating, but also male entitlement and male privilege and the way men often treat women in relationships. Um, and as a result, she decides to masquerade as someone else online, um, embodying this concept of this this woman called Gretel who's a sort of manic pixie dream girl perfect girlfriend so we wondered what the inspiration was behind that story and behind all those sort of different themes that come together in the book
2: um it was there was no like complete like moment where I was you know I just got the idea for Gretel straight away it was more like a mixture of different things that are going on like and um, so I'd spent five years working um for a charity um as a relationship advisor um where basically even though I was meant to be like helping people with their relationships I just kind of it was more like some sort of rape crisis triage type job Mm, and that sort of really highlighted to me the sort of epidemic of sexual violence that you know the young people the young women are suffering from and then me too kind of happened and like so many people were surprised but to me after doing that job I was like oh no this just tells me um everything that I already knew and already had seen in my job. And I was just was kind of, as somebody in their 30s, who has lots of female friends, you know, who are heterosexual, but also feminists, sort of struggling with how to date your oppressor. Mm. Um, and also being a woman and having female friends and also doing the work I do. Like, lots of people I know are survivors. And so it was like wanting to fall in love with a man where a man has been you know, you know, has done something horrible to you in the past, you know, and it's just all like, I just felt like I hadn't seen those discussions being had, like, it, you know, we're kind of talking about sexual harassment in the workplace, which is really important, and rape conviction rates, which is really important, and highlighting the epidemic of sexual violence that women face, which is really important, but I hadn't seen much space for but how does that relate to your dating, because you can have been sexually violated, and be traumatized by that, but you still want to fall in love and you still want to have a relationship. Like those two things, you know, are hard to separate. And so I just wanted to see how does Me Too play into dating and what does it mean for women who are feminists who want to be in heterosexual relationships, but do find men are quite problematic, even when they don't even know that they're being problematic, they just kind of are. Yeah. Um, and yet you still want to love them and even worse, be loved by them um, and it's just a huge mess and I'll like, say this is a mess that I just really like jump into and, and 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 start a conversation about um, because it's sadly a normal experience for so many women to have all these questions going through their head whilst on Tinder and bumble and
0: change yeah yeah that d- that definitely makes sense and um from looking at kind of some reviews and some discussion on goodreads and things like that definitely that seems to be Ideas that really reverberate with people. Um, and actually, just for anyone who's listening who isn't actually, who's actually unfamiliar with the concept, the idea of the manic pixie dream girl is obviously very loaded um, and comes from like mm-hmm. uh, a very specific place. And I wondered if you could sort of expand upon what you kind of feel the idea means and how it kind of emerged as a concept that you wanted to use in your book.
2: Yeah, I think the kind of two things that I had in my head when the character April was becoming this fictional revenge character called Gretel mm. you know the idea to be the perfect woman and therefore get mental to in love with her so that she can finally have the power you know when she knows that you know they're just basically dating a projection mm-hmm. <laughs> like a complete mirage yeah and um, yeah and I think you know the manic pixie dream girls is kind of trope that we see in lots of romantic films especially the ones that I know that I've watched and enjoyed I must say growing <laughs> up you know this idea that you know these kind of girls like Zoe Deschanel types who are just really kind of fun loving and quirky and maybe a little bit of a commitment but not to you yeah Um, and they just exist to kind of be the supporting role in a man's life and just exist to kind of make him realize something about himself and so he can be loved and fully realized and the woman's just doing that all for him whilst looking absolutely stunning yeah even though she eats pizza all the time and drinks beer and it's just like you know it's just that yeah idea and then um the other thing was the section about the cool girl Mm. in gone girl book Um, and i I just remember when i read that section for the first time i was commuting to london um and read that section about the cool girl and i like actually physically stood up like (laughs) on my train and i was like this is just resonating so much i just i found myself standing yeah um, because I was like oh my god this is so true and this idea that women like the title of the book says it's all a pretense Mm. um we're just sort of pretending to not be damaged we're pretending to not be hard work we're pretending we don't want to be in a relationship we're pretending that we're not needy we're pretending that we like to have sex in a particular way we're pretending that we're happy to just sit there listening while they talk we're pretending we don't mind to you know to win the love of a guy um And yet then if you do, they then do love you, you're kind of in a real trap because you have to keep up that pretense forever. Yeah. Um, But then if you start saying this is a game of pretending, then other girls potentially who aren't willing to give up, you know, might win a man over you. Because, you know, so there's a kind of that girl on girl competitiveness as well it's all just, a. as I said, I'm not saying I think any of this is a good, healthy thing Mm. (laughs) I think it's all very complicated and dark and interesting and we, I wanted the book to start a conversation and maybe just get people to realise it even after fourth wave feminism Um, we're still being the cool girl, Mm. I think, to win the love of our oppressor and I find that fascinating
0: yeah, yeah, fair
2: enough (laughs) yeah, I don't know are you guys just really chill and maybe like <laughs> maybe you're just that's always the worry isn't it like but I think that's the thing about love is that it's this great equalizer and actually no matter how chill you might be in any other part of your life you know there's nothing like wanting to be loved that mm. makes you totally vulnerable and makes you maybe behave in ways that you wouldn't normally behave and you know make you kind of jumpy and erratic and paranoid and all these things and it's yeah, it's, it's odd how we can just be so different in our personal lives compared to the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, and like, I did really love how how candid the book is about how people relate to one another and how people do behave in ways that sometimes are just, as you say, like sort of truly bizarre and completely almost outside of your normal realms of behaviour and personality. Um, And I think your writing in general, I thought this about um, How Do You Like Me Now, your previous book, it's just very perceptive and very honest. And so we wondered uh, how do you kind of approach writing about relationships, both like romantic relationships, but also like friendships um, and um, other kinds of interpersonal um, situations? How do you kind of approach those in that very candid, honest way? Is that something you're quite conscious of? Or do you think it just happens quite naturally for
2: you? It definitely doesn't happen naturally because I'm absolutely terrified whenever I write about something that I think is that candid and exposing and true and honest because it is really scary to maybe admit that you personally have had those thoughts or that other people that you know have, especially when it's about the underlying undercurrents because I think we always think that maybe everyone else is a bit more sorted than we are and maybe we're the only ones having this thought process or this reaction or this response and so what I try to do when I write about things that yeah might feel quite exposing to the human condition and particularly the female experience human condition is try to have faith but if I'm writing this and if I'm connecting to that bit of fear, but I'm not a crazy person yeah I've <laughs> crazy people are always going I'm fine I'm not crazy but you know just be like now I'm sure I'm not the only person whose brain might have gone to this dark place at some point and and actually try to have the courage to explore where maybe something is coming from and to just yeah dive into it really because I do believe that yeah you have to be very brave to tell the truth about things that may be that exposing and embarrassing mm-hmm. um whilst also as a female writer knowing that the moment you write anything people are going to just automatically assume it's an autobiography and having to accept that even if some things you're writing about are actually nothing to do with you or you're just you know have researched something really thoroughly Mm -hmm. and they're trying to do a job about something that isn't your personal experience which is knowing that you're always people are always going to think it's you anyway so um it definitely doesn't come naturally but I'm fascinated with what is below the surface of human beings? And I read about psychology all the time. And I spent five years working for a mental health and relationships charity, and I've got my level three uh, counselling certificate. So I just sort of do have faith that yeah. actually, <laughs> under the surface, all of us, <laughs> fragile, yeah. um, complicated, nuanced, neurotic. <laughs> and um and actually we'll feel a lot better about ourselves if if we see those stories that actually are like our insides being told rather than stories that reflect our outsides
0: Mm. yeah and in that kind of similar vein um you know reading on goodreads and things like that um, and also there's been a few kind of quotes on the um book that we've received it seems as if that has been the response so far i read some people saying oh, I never, you know, um, the main character at April speaks to herself in the same way I speak to myself. Or there was a quote from a Grazia reviewer who said, it was super relatable and it feels great to be heard, but also a little exposing. So there definitely seemed to be that sense that these are ideas and things people secretly hold, but they haven't expressed yet. I mean, was that kind of an important idea to you as you were writing? Were you kind of aware that was happening or is that something that's turned up kind of in the responses to your books for you?
2: That's what I hope happens. Um <laughs> That is like when I read reviews like that, I let out the biggest sigh of relief. It's humanly possible to sigh. I'm just yeah. like, Oh, phew, I've nailed it. Yeah. Um, that is what I try to do the most of my writing. I kind of just feel like any storyteller is aware of the parts of their craft that, kind of their best at and i think most storytellers are way we're really in touch with parts of their craft that they're terrible at and i'm very very good at wallowing and the parts of my writing craft i wish was better but um if i'm allowed to park that and try and feel good about myself i feel like my my brand and The way that I tell stories is to hopefully have that sort of psychological impact where somebody feels very seen Mm. um, about a very private part of themselves that they might be quite ashamed to even admit that they feel seen in. Um, And that to me is like the sweet spot, that's what I'm trying to get to with my writing all the time, um, with humour. That's mm. the other thing I try really hard to do yeah. is just try to write these very, very, very dark books that just have lots of jokes in them. Because um, <laughs> I just feel that like humour can make an important discussion just so much more palatable. um and can like crack up the tension with that yeah. um it's a very exposing feeling scene i don't know if you guys have read three women have you read that by lisa tadio
1: yeah i've, I've read it yeah
2: uh, i felt very seen by some parts of that book mm. and yet felt almost too embarrassed to tell people that really? <laughs> and that was you know i was like wow she's really done something here yeah so, I like feel really reassured. Also, I don't want to tell people I find that reassuring because it's almost too much how much he understands the female psyche. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Did you like it? Because I know that it really splits people, that book. No, <laughs> yeah,
1: I did. I did enjoy it a lot. Um, I think one thing I found, which I think came much more from like the marketing around the book rather than actually anything that the author had said herself, was the sort of generalised, like, oh, this represents all women's experiences. I sort of thought that maybe was perhaps not 100% true just because there are obviously three specific stories um but that said there are definitely elements like you say that you think are probably quite fundamental to you know not even female psyche just like human psyche of how people are searching for connections and how they go about trying Mm -hmm. to get there um yeah I thought it was really interesting book and also just how of course how well researched it is the fact she spent so many years living with the characters that she um that she then wrote about that was you know pretty fascinating
2: yeah it was amazing I loved it I think I've bought like eight copies so far <laughs> yeah if you're my friend guess what you're getting for your birthday <laughs> be three women <laughs> to be.
0: yeah I love the book that you feel you have to share that's
2: great though that, that's an author's field day They're yeah stuff like that so that's great <laughs>
1: and it's interesting I think you know you were talking earlier about how you juggle the different themes in your book and the different um different feel um and i think an an important theme of the book is is the impact of trauma and how that can be long lasting and crop up in unexpected and and often very difficult ways um and april the main character in the book is working through a specific trauma in a very specific way Uh, but was there anything in particular you wanted to sort of achieve by focusing on that um difficult part of her past um and what, what did you sort of want the reader to take away from from her journey in terms of her perhaps if not coming to terms with it finding a way of you know accepting um her past
2: mm. i think um because i had as i said like i've spent so long working with um you know women who were who are traumatized um, I wanted to some degree to write a book that sort of normalized that, because unfortunately, sadly, it is really normal for lots of women to be traumatized, um, and yet still have a job and still have friends and still yeah. be able to crack jokes and still have this life and yet kind of there's this sort of thing in the corner that at any point can just erupt and then suddenly you'll just, you know, can't get off the carpet for two days. Um, unless you've been lucky enough to have the sort of, you know, intensive therapy required to to kind of put that trauma in a place in your brain where it isn't just going to erupt like mm. a sort of dormant, um, volatile volcano. Um, and I also wanted somebody with trauma to have a love story. That was really important to me because I do think um, there's a lot of stories about you know people overcoming trauma um, or people being traumatised maybe at the beginning of the story and how they kind of learn to get over it. But I kind of wanted the trauma to be Quite historical um, and you know linked to love, because of course, you know, as, as I said, there's lots of just women with trauma who are still out there you know holding out their hearts and wanting to be loved and mm. um, you know and, and how hard that can be um when they, they're they scared that the moment they reveal their trauma, the love might be get taken away um, so, but yeah, as I, I said, that's so normal. It's, it's, what's so sad about you know me too is just, just showing how normal people like april are um and i also wanted the book to maybe help anyone who hasn't experienced trauma to kind of maybe understand what it's like to be in the head of somebody who you know is, is dealing with trauma um because i think that immersive empathy that you get from reading fiction is, is so powerful mm. and i think there's so much misunderstanding of trauma and so i was really hoping that even people who don't have been lucky enough to kind of get through life a bit more unscathed than somebody like April will be like, oh, I get it now. And, oh, that makes sense. And any person reading this book will know somebody who has been traumatized because, the, you know, it, it's such an epidemic. So they might be able to make them be a better friend or understand how sort of um, post traumatic stress surfaces and you know what uh what being triggered really means rather than like what Piers Morgan seems to think that it means. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um yeah so it was just again just trying to normalise something because it's sadly so normal. Um and also just so people hopefully like April. I really liked her. It was very hard to be in her head for the year that I was writing the book. I found that very challenging yeah. <laughs> being in the head of a traumatized person. But um, I loved her and wanted her have happy things happen to her and so yeah i hope that readers um like her too and have sympathy and empathy for her and a rooting for her
0: yeah absolutely Even when she's
2: being batshit crazy
0: yeah <laughs> she yeah. does go batshit <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah I suppose that's definitely like the the not the job of a reader but it's the responsibility of a reader to go beyond sort of the surface of what the author is giving you about a character and trying to understand um why a character is being a certain way because there's always a why in there isn't there Um, especially with characters like this. And equally, I mean, you said before that humour is a a big way in the novel that these dark moments or these dark sides of people are sort of not lightened, but more, perhaps made more accessible. Um, And obviously you you have the relationship between um, April and her housemate, Megan, and through their texting and their connection over Dawson's Creek, those kinds of things kind of help bring that lightness to it. Did you find it kind of difficult to strike a balance between those light moments and the humor and then the dark stuff that april thinks and kind of goes through
2: yeah that was absolutely my biggest fear about the book my two big fears well is anyone going to buy this idea that this woman is pretending to be this perfect person yeah you know because it's it's quite crazy this sort of it's a bit like a Gollum and smeagol relationship with april and gretel yeah um but then actually through you know, researching and interviewing a lot of women, I'm like, no, we all do pretend to be someone we're not. At the beginning stages of dating, I've kind of pushed it to a different place, but that's all right. And then my other biggest worry was, is it inappropriate to have humor in a book about rape and sexual assault? Mm. And particularly the book is does follow kind of generic conventions of a romantic comedy that's what I've kind of said I was like I want to try and write a comedy a romantic comedy about me too um that we're so nervous about separate you know about keeping comedy and tragedy apart and I'm the first person to just go completely ballistic if I think people are making jokes about that just is not funny I've just you know, I'm yeah. the first person to be like rape jokes are not okay. Um, especially if they are told by men like, mm. you know, who have never experienced rape. Like I'm the first person to get out my pitchfork. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well then why do I think I can do it? You know, what, what gives me the permission to think that comedy can be brought to this? Um and that was a fear that I had. Um and that fear I think was really important. Um, because I think it made me treat the comedy really um, delicately. And, you know, I was just like, I'm just going to research this, so it's watertight. I'm going to talk to survivors. I know that I've got a lot of knowledge and understanding of this because I have spent so long working with survivors. I'm an ambassador of Women's Aid. I'm going to get its sensitivity read. And just, you know, really, really tried that line. And also, I was like, I also believe that comedy, because this book is funny it might be more likely to get picked up by, I don't know, maybe some male readers or maybe yeah. some people who are sceptical, maybe people who believe rape myths and actually like, believe that the comedy might draw more people in mm. and they you know picking up a book with a pink cover thinking, oh, this will be light. And then I'm like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> get ready to be educated <laughs> whilst laughing. And then but yeah, you have to have respect and um you have to. And so I hope I've got that right. Um, I'm willing to hear feedback from people who think I've got it wrong, but I really, really hope, especially kind of working with Women's Aid, that I've that I've got enough there to be telling those jokes. And the jokes are never about her trauma. It's just around it. Yeah. Because, as I said, people who are traumatised can be really funny, and can have a laugh with their friends and make Dawson's Creek memes. You know, it's those things can happen and coexist. Yeah.
1: Yeah I think so and I think because you're in um, April's head the whole time you know she has her moments where she's feeling great and feeling really positive and or like really enjoying laughing with Megan or or, and then she has moments where she's feeling very down and that is I think you know that's very very true to life Um, but it's interesting what you're talking about um, people picking up the book who maybe wouldn't have otherwise picked it up or not quite sure what the The entire plot is going to be Uh, I think it's interesting that um pretending is very much being marketed as a fun and light-hearted read and obviously as you just said there are moments of levity and lightness throughout and it is you know a, a a romance that's quite fun to read and and has like some of that kind of romantic comedy vibes as you said um but how do you kind of feel about that sort of um marketing decision and you know it's often like women's fiction is always ending up being compared to Bridget Jones in a way that I don't always That's think funny. is helpful as much as I love Bridget Jones I just think you know just... can stand alone away from that um and particularly when your novel is dealing with really important weighty issues um yeah how, how do you kind of feel about that and about those sort of perceptions we have of, on women's fiction and women's writing
2: I think it's a complete mess. Um, and and there's so many women, you know, female writers and, and women writers, you know, squawking and just going, this is insane. Like, stop calling it chick lit, if it's not. I mean, chick lit yeah. is a genre, and it's a great genre, and it's a genre I really enjoy. But, like, just because you're a woman and you've written a book and there's a relationship and it doesn't make it chick lit, um, you know, there are, and also just, like, not every book a woman writes is, is Bridget Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah it's um marion keys is one of my favorite authors ever Mm. um and she's just brilliantly vocal about this and sort of saying you know if a man writes man writes about a relationship you know he's making this incredibly you know profound statement about you know the human condition and a woman's just writing a fluffy story about love um so it it's it's hard i think um you know, you, I, it is weird to be called women's fiction and you feel angry because there's men who write about the same similar books to me and they just don't get called that. Um, but then anyone who sort of dismisses my stories or other female writers' stories because of that kind of genre, like, genre being a thing. And being marketed to you, they're just showing up in their own ignorance really mm. you know and i've had men come up to me going oh i would like to read your book but i'm not really the target audience are you? and i'm like why not mm. like oh you know because i'm a man and i'm like oh so you you know that's it you know it's just so it just highlights just how like yeah ignorant they are um so it makes me angry but um you know you just kind of channel anger into further creativity um <laughs> yeah and and just you know, it's, it's good that there's things like the Women's Daily Prize and there's spaces to celebrate women's writing. But um, I long for the day that it's just writing and just fiction without a, a caveat before yeah. we to distinguish, you know, us being a woman.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's a it's a good process that we're in, in that people are now aware of the difficulties of those terms and of the hypocrisies of the different of the perceived differences between women and men's writing but definitely there is some way to go um and um equally in terms of sort of where we are now we're kind of we are living in some pretty new times that are changing daily and it can be very stressful and a lot of people are kind of turning i think to literature Um, and to creativity as a form of sort of dealing with it as kind of people have done kind of through the centuries turning to creativity as a form of dealing with stress and trauma and things like that. And we are just kind of wondering from your uh, position as a writer yourself um, what kind of maybe tips or advice you have for anybody who's kind of hoping to pursue a novel as you have or other kind of forms of creativity at the moment.
2: I think it's just to do it and stop being scared about a not having permission and b not be it not it being any good yeah um, initially if you're kind of going to create anything it should always be for yourself first um you know because you know and it's just it's a thing as particularly you know i would say this you know particularly to women you mean you're just sort of socialized, I believe, for so much to think your voice doesn't matter, your story doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're just always having our voices trivialized. And so it's the act of empowerment to just physically fill a page of paper with your thoughts, even if it's just a diary. Like, that's actually a huge act of power to just be like, I am worth taking up this space, even if this space is, you know, a page of A4. And like the I just feel like that's such an act of rebellion <laughs> <laughs> uh, and self empowerment and just and to be excited by that first, and that's where I think the creativity follows, I think like sort of timidity, or you know, you know i what have I possibly got to say about this um what if I'm rubbish, and just try to put, be like no i I believe that I've got something to say um and I'm going to be brave enough to take up this space and try and make sense of what I'm feeling or what my life is like uh, through putting pen to paper. I just think it's a life changing thing to start doing. And then when I go into schools and try to talk to teenagers about writing, I'm just like, just start with a diary. If you don't know where to begin. Just start filling out a page a night of what it means to be you. Like that's an incredibly empowering thing to do and yeah. you'll find your voice and you'll get in touch with your emotional responses to things your empathy levels the way that you see the world the kind of rhyme and rhythm of how you write how that's different from how you talk and like keeping a diary is just a wonderful wonderful starting point and you know it doesn't have to turn into a memoir like i know that everyone's always kind of talking about side hustles and um I don't know when this is getting aired, but at the moment, you know, we're all in quarantine. <laughs> it's yeah. very And I'm just seeing all these freaking people telling me that, you know, Shakespeare write, wrote King Lear. And, yeah. you know, and I thought, I like, you know, it's hard enough trying not to lose my mind right now rather than me thinking I should be writing the next great American novel um, yeah. from Hackney. Um, <laughs> it's just stop thinking it has to be anything other than you giving yourself time and space to write about what it means to be you it can just stop there it doesn't have to be an award-winning best-selling novel or poetry collection or screenplay just start with a diary and see how your life changes because I promise you it will
0: yeah yeah I think that's and that's really great and also very accessible
2: yes yes yeah you don't need to spend you know 12 grand getting a master's or anything yeah Um, you you just need either a word processor thing which most of us have on our phones or most of us have laptops or yeah just a pen and paper yeah and and just just give yourself permission to just tell the story of what it means to be you
1: yeah no that is really great advice um and um a great way to end things i think but we just have one more last question um which is um well our podcast always champions female focused books such as yours um also film and television and theatre Uh, As you say we're obviously in a strange time right now where you know like we can't go to the theater we can't go to the cinema but there are still lots of um, ways for us to access culture and we wondered if there were any um, female focused books or movies or TV shows that you've been watching or you're looking forward to coming out maybe later in the year that you wanted to highlight for both for us and for our listeners.
2: I'm, I'm gonna just go for like some i'm gonna hate using the word easy here because again i think it takes a huge amount of craftsmanship to be able to write anything easy to read yeah so that is my disclaimer But um yeah because i think that is the ultimate win as an author if you you know people don't notice they're reading then that's yeah a huge amount. so an easy read um i am just loving grown ups by marion keys right now oh, i just yeah. feel like she is like a sire who knew a pandemic was coming and just was writing the perfect book for us to all be holed up in Then yeah <laughs> and it's just intelligent and funny and true and it's about a dysfunctional family and i'm just i feel like i'm being hugged every time i read it and so i would just say yeah grown ups is the ultimate um, when I've just downloaded um, Queenie to my oh. Kindle. Um, so I'm really excited to read that. And then in terms of films, um, it, I saw it at the cinema before um, the pandemic hit, although I think I do remember like watching the whole film in the cinema with a scarf over my face because it was like... <laughs> it was, but, um, the most modern remake of Emma. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That's apparently now you can download and pay to watch it in your living room. I think they've done something there for the pandemic-y times. And I'm just like, that was just a delightful two hours for me. I just loved it so much. (laughs) And so I would say, yeah, that was like a really, it was like having like a nice little massage for my brain, watching the Emma remake. So I would recommend that. Um, And if you want something really problematic to get you through, because it's just so awful, and interesting and wonderful, and you'll just be so consumed by how terrible and awful and weird it is that you'll forget all about the coronavirus. I suggest Love is Blind um on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Have yeah, you bits,
0: seen and pe- it yet? bits and pieces, yeah.
2: I'm just like obsessed. Like, as yeah. somebody who spends a lot of time reading about attachment for fun, this like.
0: It's like social experiment, isn't it?
2: It's, at, yeah, I'm just, I cannot like tear myself away from it it's just the only thing that's making me not think about coronavirus and also like the way that they're dating in the pod i'm like that's very social distancing friendly dating (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah those are my my options yeah i'm not going to tell people to try and read all of shakespeare's works when they're already terrified and probably struggling to concentrate for more than 10 minutes at all i'm like just go to the happy places um go to the art that makes you feel good right now now not yeah. the time to read king lear
0: yeah
2: <laughs> in my opinion or to try and write it yeah
0: yeah fair enough yeah that that's really good uh it's really good i think um king lear certainly isn't the you know a, a, certainly isn't apocalypse literature is it
2: <laughs> how did he write anything through the plague i like not write a thing at the moment i'm just unless it's like the only thing i can write is in my google search bar. like what Horrible thing has happened to (laughs) us since I last checked two minutes ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've had a 40 minute break now, so we'll all return and see what's happened next. (laughs)
2: go back out let me talk about
0: books forever oh well thank you so much for um chatting with us it's been so great um we always love talking to authors um and reading their books and then being able to actually go dive deep into um dive deep into their books and to them so yeah thank you so much
1: well thank you very much for having me yeah thanks have a great afternoon
2: um as much as you can (laughs) <laughs> yeah you too stay safe wash your hands yes
0: <laughs> all right thanks holly all right,
2: thank
0: all right so thanks so much again to holly for speaking to us we really enjoy talking to her i feel like i always say this after every single time we talk to an author or anyone in a and tv show or anything like that but i just have a deeper appreciation for the book or TV show or whatever it is that we are discussing in the episode or and that I've previously read or watched because you get such a much such a better sense of why they made certain decisions and what they were trying to do um, more than you can get from an author bio or from like an interview in a paper. So yeah, it's such a privilege to be able to talk to people in person, I think.
1: Yeah, it really is. Because I feel like you read a book and you love it. And especially when it prompts so many discussion points um, and conversation topics as pretending does. Like It's like the ideal situation to be able to actually speak to the author directly about why she made those choices and what her thought process was. And uh, obviously, as you can tell, it was such an intelligent and interesting read and i think uh, yeah hopefully our discussion reflects that so yeah really exciting um and also i love her advice about um how you should just keep a diary and just that makes you realize how you react emotionally and how that comes across in your writing and i just thought that was really good advice and i mean i'm sure there are a lot of like quarantine diaries being written right now um and i think that will be yeah very fascinating to read everybody's take on this very weird period uh which hopefully will end soon hopefully Anyway, on that note, Helena, how are you how are you coping with everything that's going on and what are you turning towards in terms of pop culture to kind of keep
0: yourself positive at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great I think it's great to be very aware of self respect, self love, self care at this time. It's good to be aware that you need to be stepping up when it comes to seeking out new things or entertaining yourself you know i'm not saying like you need to get up out of bed all the time and do loads of running or yoga or stimulate your brain i mean i've read some interesting takes from um, academics weirdly enough um so i'm a big part of like medieval academic twitter which i really enjoy and right now there's been a lot of talk about this is not a time to be pursuing major new research or to be really pursuing any kind of project not because you can't but more because you shouldn't feel required just because you have loads of free time I say free time in air quotes because obviously free time is because universities are closed and research institutions are themselves closed. You know, that free time is not free time. It's, you know, enforced isolation in lots of ways um, for safety. And um, so it's definitely not a time to be hard on yourself, but it's a time to really, I think, pursue things that you didn't have time for before. So there's been lots of stuff, actually. Um, For one thing, I've been really enjoying powering my way through some books that we have interviews with the author's, Four, and you'll hear more about our second interview uh, in a few weeks that's been really fun just to like open my brain up and get everything going um pretending was a great one to get through as well um and also I've really been enjoying um the second series of sex education I've been working my way through that uh, which is great because uh, the first series um, was you know I think I've talked about this before on the podcast the first series was landmark in terms of kind of changing television and for producing a new kind of show. And I think the second season's only going to higher heights, which is great. Um, I feel like a show, what a show can do in its second season is definitely expand and improve and just make the universe even bigger one example of that for example is um Jean the mums you get much more of a take on her life in the second season than you do in the first in the first she's more of just like a fun mm-hmm. mum in the second as you mentioned I think a few podcast episodes ago she is a lot more not rounded because Julian Anderson can round out a character even in the background she's that good of an actress but you know it's more to do with um What's the word? It's more to do with just her character as an older woman dating the fine Nordic man. Swedish man? Is he Swedish? He's Swedish, right?
1: <laughs> he's Swedish, I yeah, think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. He, t- actually, he actually turned up in a show I watched recently. Oh, I yes, he's in Desolation of Smog, the Smalg, the Hobbit film. He plays, like, this shape shifting bear character. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I was watching it the other day, and I was like, oh, my God. Um, oh, and equally, I really have to highlight Disney+. Plus. It's kind of serendipitous that it's coming out now. Oh. Um, you know, I think the March 24th release date, that was um, a few days ago from when we were recording this, um, that's been on the cards for a few months, at least not um, if not a year or more for Disney. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So serendipitous that it came out just as lockdown began. Um, so I've been really pleased to have access to that because, you know, Disney have been slowly siphoning off all of their films and shows and you know the catalogue is huge you know bigger than any of us could really imagine because it's Disney Mm. so they've been siphoning it off in in preparation and having access now um through a family account thankfully to all of this stuff um i it's been great i watched ratatouille the other day uh it's such a joyful film um there are just bits of it that i love so much Uh, the music for ratatouille is one thing i absolutely adore um you know um it's also female focused as rat focused ratatouille but still um uh and uh the mute they have some beautiful uh beautiful french inspired uh music on that film and i absolutely adore it um and then also i watched Robin Hood the Fox version yesterday showed my boyfriend it for the first time uh yeah he definitely was like I mean, you can't see my face, um, but Francesca can, and it's very, like, confused face. Um, Because when you keep expressing, you think the fox from Robin Hood is hot. My boyfriend's like, I don't think I really appreciate this or want to know about this. Um, And rewatching Robin Hood, actually, from an adult perspective, um, you know, I kind of found that... uh, I've always loved Robin Hood, I think, for the medievalism of it. So it's set in, like, this sort of, like... uh, Sort of, what's the word? It's set in this idealised... 1200s right because it's all about King John and the Crusades um and that's the kind of that's where it's kind of set and it's in this medieval England which is kind of like this um same kind of medieval as like in Sleeping Beauty for example the ideal medieval like high baroque there's kind of castles and kings and archery competitions and knights and um you know the village of Nottingham is a world in robin hood it's not just a little village and then the fight with king john is representing the peasants and the lower people versus the king and his taxes and you know it's it's like you know this sort of ideal very kind of british i think medieval history that um i personally really really enjoy so um that was that that i didn't realize may have actually inspired me to be a medievalist because i loved robin hood the fox movie so much when i was little i know strange to think isn't it but uh, also it's very interesting to think about the uh the characters on the sh- on the, in the film my boyfriend commented that he thought that like the beautiful characters aka like Maid Marian right were like f- voiced by people with very high class sounding voices I mean this is in the 70s but still and then like the lower class people i.e the peasants are more like working class sounding and I-, I have air quotes here because you know class and association with voice those they're, they're just those things they're just associations they're not cemented not reality but it was very interesting to think of the film as like a expression of social levels and um and what people thought in the 70s a children's film should be um and then what the um, the what's the word what the ideal medieval looked like including when it comes to social classing and gender classing and things like that so yeah i've been really trying to like expand my horizons by going into old fate old nostalgic favorites And then critiquing them with my adult eye which is driving my boyfriend absolutely up the wall i will say um and then let me think i really want to talk about something women focused as well hmm give me a second to think well actually um i'm really so excited actually to start the five by Halle Rubenhold. um so essentially uh, me and Francesca are part of a book club and the book club is going ahead despite it having to be, um, probably online, definitely online, um, and we're all reading The Five by Halle Rubenhold, as I, as I just said, and the book itself is about, um, the book itself is about the five women which the infamous Victorian killer Jack the Ripper is purported to have killed on the streets late at night in London in 1888, I believe it's 1888, yes and uh yeah and basically Halle Rubenhold took umbrance with the idea she's a historian and she took umbrance with the idea that Jack the Ripper's victims had been reduced only to names places the fact they were murdered by a man a classic kind of woman in the fridge kind of idea um and they most most historians of Jack the Ripper were obsessed with all the details of him and everything about who he could be and we still don't know obviously um but All they could say about the women that he killed, and it's only really women that he killed, um, purportedly, Um, they're all said to be prostitutes, streetwalkers. The reason that they were killed is because they happened to be out on the street working. And actually, Hannah Rubenhold contends that she thinks from her analysis, only two of them of the five that were killed in 1888 were actually prostitutes she kind of suggests that the other three were assumed to be but the only reason they were murders because they happened to be a in the wrong place at the wrong time and b a woman so I think it's a really interesting book to read it's been heralded you know top of the paperback best-selling list this in the past few months so um we're all quite excited to we'll read it well I am um so yeah I like to highlight that too
1: yeah so it's interesting you said that because actually the five was one of the um things I was going to highlight um in this episode um obviously I just read it as well for the book club um and yeah I found it so enjoyable I think it's such a good piece of history it's really fascinating how she delves into the lives of these five women who like you say no one knows anything about aside from this one very unfortunate thing that they all have in common um and you know it's, it's just a really interesting kind of revisionist feminist piece of literature that it's sort of fascinating no one's ever thought to look into this before or not in the same level of detail and obviously as you say it's had this real resonance with so many people and I think it's because she looks beyond um, the headlines at the time and beyond the way historians have approached this in the past um, and goes to like the humanity and the shared humanity that the, the five women have in common and yeah I found it to be you know a lot of people were saying to me oh is it really depressing and I think the thing is that it obviously each woman's story has this truly tragic ending which you know we went from going into it but it's not about their how they died that's that's very much not the focus and instead the focus is how they lived their lives and what the constraints were on their lives that were put there by the Victorian society that they were living in. Uh, It's about how they tried to strive and how they were brought down by things outside their control, sometimes things that were in their control, like there's, you know, a theme of um, alcohol abuse throughout a lot of the women's stories. But that's all handled so sensitively and empathetically. And I think that's that's one of the the book strengths really it's it's definitely not um a kind of gruesome like crime thriller of like this is what happened to each women. you know that's not the focus um which I really admired and I think that um it's also just a really fascinating piece of social history um you and I did this course at university that was about social history and and kind of looking at um hi- historical periods through you know like ordinary people's lives rather than through politicians or wars or you know these big moments instead looking at like people's diary entries and what people bought and from supermarkets and and, well not that they had supermarkets in the victorian period but you know what i mean um and i think that yeah this book very much is on a similar vein um you know you've it's sort of dickensian but actually these are real people and you know real lives um Yeah, so I 100% recommend to our listeners if you haven't come across this book already. And uh, I think our book club discussion is bound to be very interesting, uh, which is upcoming. So yeah, I'm really interested as well that Hallie Hallie Rubenfeld, she has a new book coming out um, called Bad Women, which I think is along the same kind of lines where she investigates um, historical figures who have been quote unquote labelled bad and she tries to look beyond those headlines. So, yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you think about
0: it when you read it. I think you'll love it as well. Yes, and I am totally ready to have my mind blown by that book. Um, so, yeah, and to continue on the discussion, um, Francesca, uh, what kind of stuff do you want to talk about um, during this kind of period of isolation?
1: <laughs> well, so I've been self isolating with the five, as I said, which, although I was just saying how it is not fully depressing in some ways it is also a little bit depressing. So I've been trying to even out uh, reading that book with looking for some purely light-hearted entertainment and I have been finding that in two places. Number one, Lizzie Maguire. So I watched or re-watched the Lizzie Maguire movie um, and had such a great time. Highly recommend doing that, particularly if it is something that you have a nostalgic feel for which we definitely do um being something that we grew up with uh but after having watched the movie which I obviously had seen like a lot like in the way that we all have I was like oh I should like revisit some classic Lizzie McGuire episodes like of the actual tv series for anyone who's not aware Lizzie McGuire was a Disney Channel tv show that was on in the early noughties about young woman living her Disney Channel life where she was trying to figure it all out you know had um some good friends around her some family who she would sometimes argue with but basically the stakes are very low it's basically just like what it's like being a 14 year old 15 year old girl um which you know we all can relate to uh in the past so it it has that kind of nostalgic feel both in terms of the fact that it is like so naughty everybody wears like fluorescent coloured tank tops and like a million like scrunchies in their hair and things. But it's also nostalgic obviously in that we are now no longer 14, so <laughs> we can relive our youth by watching these kind of things. Um so yeah I've been actually really enjoying that. And I also feel like it it stands up. I mean the movie is obviously like quite silly because in the movie rather than it being like Lizzie kind of living her normal teenage life instead she is mistaken for a Italian poster on a school trip. Casual situation that we can all relate to. Um, yeah, whereas the TV series is a lot more kind of everyday. Uh, yeah, anyway, so that's what I've been doing, a, a very kind of a solid uh, way of spending my time, I'm sure. Um, and then the other similarly fun and escapist piece of television that I have found is the TV programme Say Yes to the Dress, so uh, the premise is very simple, and um, it is basically that uh, these women who are due to be married go and have. I'm just through the door. Um, these women who are about to be married are heading to this like fancy bridal store in New York called Kleinfeld's, and they do their like bridal appointment where they get to try on their dress, and then the the question is, will they say yes to the dress or no? Like that is literally where the stakes are. But of course, as anyone who has been married will tell you, um, you know, the uh, quest to find your wedding dress is fraught and can be, bring up some real, you know, family drama if your family don't agree with you uh, or, you know, you're not quite sure what you want or like then, then maybe it's too expensive. But like there are lots of obviously very real issues that people can face in that scenario. Um, So this TV show has been running for like 15 years or something like, um, you know, still going strong. But there's a new version of it on right now called Say Yes to the Dress America, where basically the guy who is like kind of, he, he, he doesn't run the bridal store, but he's like one of the main designers and also, um, uh, what would the word be like, you know, guides, that's not the word, but you know what I mean? Like when you kind of like host, he hosts the appointments of the brides. Yeah. Um, like advisors, like a kind of fashion advisor. Anyway, so he, Randy Finoli, is his name. He has like chosen a bride from each state to get married in Central Park with him as the officiator, and they all get to go and pick their dress from Kleinfeld's. But the thing that makes this series different from the usual one is that the usual one is just women who happen to be coming to the bridal store already and then they obviously agree to like be filmed um so they tend to be people who are obviously like from quite well off backgrounds because they're going to go and, and buy a dress from a very fancy expensive store um whereas like this uh say yes the dress america concept means that um that they're people from like all different backgrounds and they all have really interesting stories and they're all like really like come over as really wonderful people which is obviously why they've been picked because they have Something uh, special to share with the world, so uh, yeah, it's actually really heartwarming and just a very, a, a very easy watch. Like it's quite fun to watch because you get to pick see what dresses they pick, but also it's just very um, pure-hearted and wholesome. And like all all the people who get to be on the show via say yes the dress America are all, like massive fans, of the show. So they're super excited to meet Randy to meet the other um just people who work in the store who often appear in the background of the show. So yeah, I've been enjoying that and it very much is like proper, like has made me not think about everything else that's going on. And if you've had like a long day at work, it it, it solves all your problems, I would say.
0: Yeah. And, and besides, I do hope that what comes out of the next few weeks is a sort of more TV or just entertainment and culture stuff that is more, not more honest or more responsible, but more geared towards making people happy. Because of course, you know, we can't really live in a world right now where, uh, you know, kind of cynical things get cynical things aren't really going to be helping people feel better. And I also want to highlight in that vein um, some great things that are coming out that everyone can enjoy, at least at least in the UK, um, just because I'm a bit UK focused right now. Um, so National Theatre Live are producing um, eight weeks um of plays um they they have they record their plays and they're putting them on youtube for free every thursday and they're streaming the stream for a week so that's definitely something to get involved in particularly because you want to support the theater industry now more than ever because a lot of um, actors and singers are have been restricted to staying at home and not being able to work um and equally i know lots of um online learning courses are reducing their prices oh and Oh, gosh. I mean, I I feel like everywhere uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, I see lots of people saying offering help or uh, offering access to something or reducing prices. So there's definitely loads to get out there with. So um, I will try. I'm going to try at least and highlight them a lot on our Twitter if we can. But equally, get out there and just see what is available, because definitely if you can make use of this time, not productively, but to keep yourself sane, then anyway, anyway is going to be worth it.
1: Yeah and the National Theatre Live initiative is such a great idea because they they always film their plays as you say and they often release them via the the National Theatre Live program where they get broadcast in cinemas across the world um but Often it might be you might have missed that, um, or you have to go pay and go see that in the cinema. So the idea of doing it virtually at the moment and doing it for free is such a great one. Um, and also I imagine that that would be something that's be able that people would be able to access internationally if it's been put on YouTube, hopefully. Um, but I think a lot of countries and a lot of um theatres are looking into doing similar things and uh, obviously we're still kind of in early days almost of the current situation even though obviously we hope it won't last for too long but i think it, as things kind of progress i think um cultural outlets um and theatres and uh, cinemas are going to kind of think of like creative and exciting ways of making sure people can still enjoy their content um And I'm definitely going to try and check out some of, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, ballets that you can watch online and and things like that. Because, to be honest, like, that's the kind of thing that in my normal day-to-day life, I would think, oh, that'd be really cool. But I might not actually get around to doing. Um, And in part, obviously, that's because usually, luckily, I have the option of maybe going to see those things in, you know, in real life, in person. But actually, you always get something different when you see something when it's been recorded. Like, you know, whenever we watch those National Theatre Live productions, I think you always... It's super interesting to see, like, you know, their facial expressions up close, which is something that we never see in the theatre, particularly because Helen and I have bad eyesight, so we can never see anything in the (laughs)
0: theatre. Very true.
1: Yeah, so I think that's really cool. And, yeah, we'll definitely try and highlight um, more of that kind of thing on our Twitter over the coming weeks. Yeah,
0: and in that vein, um, so as we wrap up, we always like to give our own socials a shout-out. So um, our Twitter is at RealLLW. Up there, we post all about when we're releasing next, what we're up to, um, and equally, we'll be trying to retweet and shout-out some interesting and good initiatives that you could look up and be into um also we have an instagram which is loves no punctuation all lowercase um and then we also have an email which is loves labors equally no punctuation all lowercase at gmail.com business inquiries episode inquiries uh, anything you want to ask us anything you want to highlight things think we might have missed or if you disagree with us let us know we're always around on there um, yeah and hopefully, um yeah, just stay safe, uh, everyone, take government advice seriously um because the more you do, the more um, we'll all be able to go outside and go on holiday at some point in the year <laughs>
1: Thanks so much for listening, and thanks so much, Holly Bourne for speaking to us. It was so exciting to have you in this episode, and we 'd love for all all of you to go out and read, pretending and let us know your thoughts um, and we' always love to hear from you, as Helena said. So yeah, please stay safe and take care. And as we were saying, follow the government guidelines wherever you live. And we hope to speak to you soon under hopefully slightly better circumstances as well. See you next time. Bye.